Giants, what I'm about. And what I'm about is an old school physical mentality. Okay? We're going to put a product on the field that the people of this city and region will be proud of. Because this team will represent this area. We'll play fast, we'll play downhill, we'll play aggressive. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes, we'll play every play like it has a history and a life of its own with a relentless competitive attitude. Everybody. Good evening. Welcome to Big Blue Avenue. What is up, New York Giants fans? Welcome to this Christmas edition of Big Blue Avenue. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta, joined alongside Hank and Dictor. Hank, hello. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Great lineup in store for our audience here tonight. Tom, happy holidays to you as well. And as always, looking forward to talking some Giants football with you. Not the best of games, but I am very excited for what's to come got a lot to talk about and we've got a good guest coming up on our show later but um yeah tom are you, are you excited as well i am very very excited for this show tonight make sure to drop us a follow subscribe at our social media content there on facebook instagram at the anchor and subscribe to our youtube channel at review and preview sports we are slowly but surely growing on youtube make sure to check out exclusive content not just giants content if the giants aren't for you we have other stuff other teams other sports as well um and yes baltimore ravens super fan caitlin mccarthy joins us tonight at 8 p.m she is uh, a student at marist college she um is a huge baltimore ravens fan she was on the north pole Last week, we're going to have her on tonight at 8 p.m. And uh, James Montefusco says, Hank, loving the sweater. Let me stand up and show you all what it looks like. There we go. And let me show you the back here. Four time. Four time. The drive for five. Yes. Uh, Hopefully this sweatshirt but sweater becomes obsolete in a couple of years. But I saw it on Amazon. It was a must buy. Thanks, James, for the comment. You got to take advantage of that. And James loves the jacket. Nice jacket. Thank you very much, James. Uh, yeah, it's a Tom Coughlin type of jacket. Got the old school Giants labeled on the jacket. Got the NY patch on the left side and uh, got a sleeveless part there. And uh, thanks again, James. And Andy, Hank is uh, festive and we will bleep that out. Uh, Andy, loving the comments, <laughs> loving the content. I mean, I, I got to. I know I understand it's the holiday season, but we, we do have to keep it professional here on the show. So, yeah. Tom, your jacket is nice as well. I just wanted to add that. Love the old school coffin style. Folks, you're in for a treat tonight. We're going to recap the Giants-Browns game first. We are live 7 to 9, so two hours of content. I uh, hope you stay there for the full ride with us. We're going to recap the Giants-Browns game. And, of course, Caitlin will join us at 8 to talk about the Ravens game. So, uh, the Giants fall to the Baltimore Ravens, uh, I'm sorry, the Cleveland Browns. I got a little bit too ahead of myself. In week 15, ironically. Yep, They technically, yes. <laughs> if you know your history, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, yes, I do. 
So the final score was 20 to 6 on Sunday night football. The Giants fall to the Browns. This was a flexed game. It was originally supposed to happen at one in the afternoon, got flexed to 820. Little did they know Jason Garrett would test positive for COVID-19. James Bradbury would have to be quarantined and miss the game. Offensive assistant Stephen Brown. Uh, yeah, it was really bad. And it got so bad to the point where um, the Giants were down three coaches because our outside linebackers coach, Brett Bialima, left the team after taking a head coaching job at Illinois. And he's fighting Illini, which meant former Giant great Jesse Armstead had to step in as the outside linebackers coach. So the Giants were down three coaches. And, Hank, I think it showed on Sunday Night Football. Yeah, I think it partially had to do with it. But at the same time, I can't really (laughs) – thanks for the comment, Ben. I don't really want to take anything away from what Cleveland did. The the Browns, as we saw in the game last week, are a very dangerous team. And let's face it, I wouldn't be shocked if Cleveland ended up making noise later on because they're actually within striking distance of the division, as you know. Yeah, they're 10-4. and They're only one game back at Pittsburgh after their loss to Baltimore. So it's going to be very interesting. But, Hank, Browns approved the 10-4, and first 10-win season since 2007. But, folks, let's take you through the recap of this game. Hank, why don't you start with the first half, then we'll show you some highlights, break down some film, and tell you why the Giants eventually lost this game. So, interestingly enough, the game started with Deion Lewis returning the opening kickoff, 48 yards, put the Giants in good field position, and – you know, right then and there, the special teams had improved. We saw the last few weeks it had been very iffy, but, you know, I thought 48-yard return, maybe this would be the start of something. And Giants were actually moving the ball pretty well at the start of this game. They got to the Cleveland 8-yard line, which featured McCoy throwing a 22-yard strike to Sterling, Sterling Shepard. Looked like they were in great shape, but then, of course, it was 4th and 5. The Giants were forced to kick a field goal, or so we thought. Judd tried to execute what was, I would call, an interesting experiment. Fourth and five, he tried to fake a field goal with Riley Dixon having a pass attempt to the center. What was that all about? I don't know, but all I do know is Riley Dixon's pass went way over the head of Nick Gates. It was pretty much airmailed. The Giants turned the ball over and downs and... I'm going to talk more about this later on, but Tom, I don't know about you. I didn't have a problem necessarily with the idea of going for it on fourth and five early in the game. My problem, the execution. And we'll take a look at the clip if you want to show us, show the peers that. Sure. Let's take a look at the clip. I agree, Hank. I think I'm a firm believer in taking the points and that's, that's the Tom Coughlin mm-hmm. mentality to take the points. Bill Parcells may have gone for it, may have not, but when you're five and eight, uh, playoffs are on the line. Again, I'm more mad at the execution, the type of play call that it was. And you really couldn't tell if this was a fake punt, fake field goal. Yeah. But let's check it out. So, first of all, in slow motion, you can see Riley Dixon sees Nick Gates airmails it to him in triple coverage. Here it is again in slow motion. One more time. Big Nick Gates. Oh, deflected out of play. And if you notice, Graham Gano, Hank, was cutting over the middle of the field uh, wide open, and Dixon just missed them. Again, this seems like it was a Freddie Kitchens play call, but it went through Joe Judge. You could see yeah. him motioning for it on the sideline. So I think both parties are kind of at fault here, I would say. Yeah, nothing about the whole 
nothing about this whole play to me really made sense. I I, I don't know why, why what he was why he was trying to throw in triple coverage, but I digress. Cleveland got the ball back their own eight yard line. They actually would get to the Giants forty three, and they faced a fourth and two of their own, and they had another decision decision to make: do they go for it or do they not? Cleveland decided to go for it, which, you know, wasn't necessarily a bad idea, but they would also turn the ball over on downs. Baker Mayfield's pass attempt to Austin Hooper was batted down by Dexter Lawrence, incomplete, so the Giants would get the ball back with good field position. It seemed like no harm, no foul, right? Well, eh, I don't know. (laughs) Understatement. Yeah, indeed. So they'd get the ball back, seven plays, they would get to the Cleveland 19, and the big highlight on this play was a 35-yard pass from Colt McCoy to Darius Slayton. It's actually the longest play of the game, believe it or not. And let's take a look at that pass. I mean, this was just an all-around great play, and this game kind of exposed Jason Garrett as a play caller. And let's let's take a look. First, we're going to look at the execution. So McCoy has good protection up front, steps up in the pocket, delivers a strike over to Darius Slayton who did a good job beating out the defense. And watch Andrew Thomas, number 78 left tackle, against Miles Garrett. As we'll rewind and take a look again. Look at Shane Lemieux as well, number 66. Check out 78 and 66, what they're able to do. And Thomas does a good job keeping Garrett away from Colt McCoy, who actually doesn't have that much time in the pocket to make this throw. You see Cam Fleming and Kevin Zeitler on the right side doing their job as well. Nick Gates has the middle. And Slayton just slips through the cracks of that zone defense. There's nothing. And here's one more look. I just want to show you guys one more. Look how close Garrett is to McCoy. That's why we spent the fourth overall pick on Andrew Thomas. And it proves right there how good he's been these last few weeks. Now, everybody was bashing it the first few weeks of the season and you know, we went up against some elite pass rushers in our matchups that we played and it exposed them. You know, you're short and all. It's going to take some time. Yeah, no, great blocking by Andrew Thomas and a great throw. And, Tom, I got to ask you this also. Who did that catch remind you of? What receiver? I think you know where I'm going with this. Monty Toomer. Correct. That, that is exactly what I was thinking when I saw 100% of Monty Toomer. It reminded me a lot of the catch that Slayton made against the Cowboys that we actually highlighted in the Dallas review, if you remember. Yes. So anyways, back to this game. The Giants didn't really have any option to go for a fake field goal this time, thank goodness. So they just settled for Graham Gano for a 37-yard field goal. Giants would go up 3 nothing, but Cleveland would respond. They would go 75 yards on 13 plays, and – they did what they did best. They milked a lot of clock on this drive. Six and a half minutes, all capped off by a two-yard touchdown pass to Austin Hooper, giving the Browns a 7-3 lead. And, Tom, here's a shocking fact. The Cleveland tight ends accounted for 38 yards on this drive. Austin Hooper and Bryant, each with 19 yards. Are we shocked at all that this happened? No, because the past two weeks, now Austin Hooper and Dan Arnold have both scored a touchdown again this team, against this team. Who the hell is Dan Arnold? I mean, two weeks ago, you found that out. Austin Hooper, acquired free agent, who's been struggling this year for Cleveland due to the ideology of their offense. And he had a, he had a game, four catches and a score for Austin Hooper. Um, Hank, I'm not shocked at all. And it wasn't just Hooper. It was Harrison Bryant, too, rookie tight end out of Florida Atlantic. 
just absolutely went off on this drive for the Browns. That's true. And Rashard Higgins on this drive also had a 22-yard catch. Really, really good, well-organized drive by the Cleveland Browns. Giants would get the ball back. They would go 68 yards over seven minutes, clock milking drive of their own. This would go down to the Cleveland six-yard line where they would face fourth and two. And again, they would go for it. But Wayne Gallman was stopped short of a first down and a shotgun draw. This was actually a drive featured primarily Alfred Morris running a lot. And this is actually Gallman's only carry on this drive. And Tom, I got to ask the question again. Do you think this was the right, play, the right idea by Joe Judge? I have a no. feeling that you're going to say. No, and here's why. If you, got, if you folks remember this play, first of all, when you're playing the Browns, it's like a three-quarter game. It's not a fourth-quarter game because the Browns are an old-school football team that will shorten the game against you. And what the Giants did on this drive, that really confused me. Mm-hmm. Alfred Morris got all the touches on this drive. Wayne Goldman didn't have one touch until yeah, the fourth and two play. Yeah, where the Giants decided to run a shotgun draw, classic Kevin Gilbride, by the way, into an eight-man box. Who the hell runs a shotgun draw on fourth and two with a man who hasn't touched the ball the whole drive? If you like the situational matchup, that's one thing. But in this instance, if you're Colt McCoy, you have to audible out of that play. I'm sorry. Uh, Gallman was half a yard short. Look, maybe you wanted the push. Maybe you wanted some better blocking. There's a lot of different aspects you could – dissect on this play but it's a low percentage reward play i don't like the play call i like the aggressiveness and again this could have been another three points for this football team i would have taken the points although i do stand with the coaches i do like the aggressiveness here it just wasn't again it was it was an atrocious play call yeah, I'm with you on that pretty much. I think this definitely made more sense than having your kick your uh, punter throw to a center. It wasn't as bad as the first. Yeah, it wasn't yeah no. First. This one at least made sense. Trying to run with Goldman, I totally get. You needed the yards. I think this looks worse probably just because of the first decision. But with that being said, I, I like the aggressiveness by Joe Judge, if I'm being honest. But I, I just I think both of them, I completely agree with you, could have been executed better. But but I, I don't I'm not against the idea of going for on fourth down against a team like the Cleveland Browns. You, you needed to take a risk and, tr- and try the big plays to win this game. Mm-hmm. But anyways, let's get back to this game. Cleveland capitalized. They went 95 yards on 10 plays. Again, typical. They were milking the clock. Baker had an 18 yard touchdown pass to Peoples Jones. He had a 15 yard pass to Jarvis Landry. 20 yard pass to Njoku. And with Jarvis Landry putting the icing on the cake, he had a two-yard touchdown reception, end of the first half. But, however, we did some see some very familiar, and Andy, you're probably not going to like that I'm mentioning this. Cody Parkey doinked the extra point again. He sure did. He sure did. And let's take a look at this play because Baker Mayfield made it very difficult on himself on this play. He, You brought up Dave Njoku who had a big catch on this drive. He was wide open on this touchdown play. Let's break it down. You can see there's Peoples-Jones in motion, fakes the ball, and Isaac Yadam has the tough task of chasing Landry across the field. And watch what happens in the end zone. You can see Landry on the bottom part of the screen. Now watch it in slow motion. What happens? The pass rush is okay. They flush Baker out. Tay Crowder's coming in. Joku's wide open right there. Baker made it difficult on himself, but he's riding the hot hand. Landry goes up with two hands. Most importantly, makes a, a very clutch catch. And Landry's been hot as of late. 
three touchdown catches in his last four games. Yeah, and it was this was pretty much the quarter where the Browns would take control of this game and win. This thirteen of their yeah. twenty four points were scored in this quarter, and yeah, after the after the half, I really did not feel great about this game the rest of the way because you felt like it could have been closer, but. You know, the Giants had missed missed opportunities that could have made it a closer game, but they failed to catch in. But, um, Tom, let's go over the second half. I'm going to let you take over for this. And I want to just pause that one quick. Folks, if you like what you hear, make sure to smash the like button, share this podcast with your friends and family. We have our special guest, Caitlin, coming on tonight at 8 p.m. to preview the Giants-Ravens game. She is a Ravens mm-hmm. fan. And we actually have a comment from Ben Cruz. Ben, what's up, buddy? How's it going? He wants to know the status of Danny Dimes. Uh, the last two games. I'm assuming he's talking about this weekend and then the following weekend. Well, can't look two weeks ahead, but for this weekend, he is marked as questionable. It's only Wednesday. He's been limited in practice. Uh, The expectation is they're going to try everything they can for him to play. Uh, Hank, I I think you're you're going up against Baltimore. I mean, as serviceable as McCoy has been, I think if Jones is 100%, he gives you the best chance to win yeah. this game. Wouldn't you oh, agree? No doubt. You have to start Daniel Jones if he's 100%. And we discussed in the last episode, too. There's really nothing good that can come out of starting Colt McCoy the rest of the season if you have Daniel Jones available to start the rest of the games. You want to see what you can have, especially with next year. But obviously, I don't really want to worry about next year. I want to worry about this year and whatever is going on left. Absolutely. I mean, you got to focus on these last two games. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun to break that down. And we get into the second half. And, um, guys, this was not very exciting. The third quarter went by very quick. The Browns actually scored 13 of their 20 points in the second quarter of this game. And they were up 13-3 to three at the half. It could have been 13-9. to nine. But the second half, it would start out with the Browns' punt. Thanks to Dexter Lawrence, who sacked Baker Mayfield on a second and 11 play for an 11-yard loss. And this is the last highlight we're going to show from this game, as Dave Gettleman likes to call him Dexter, uh, make it a fantastic play. And he was all over the place this entire game, Hank. Here it is in slow motion. Baker takes the snap, and you see Dexter gets around the right guard. Uh, Chris Hubbard left the game early, and then um, that's actually, I want to say it's Trey Harris, and he does a good job recovering the ball, too, although he was ruled down. Here it is again. Watch the arm move Dexter makes inside. He does a nice little jumbo twist there with his hand, and he keeps the left side of his body away from the guard so that he could easily swivel by him, and he's too quick for the center, number 64, J.C. Treader, to come over and, and chip. So now he gets by the guard, and J.C. Treader does not have a chance because, again, his body is extended out, and Baker has no time to get away with that. Again, it's just excellent technique by Dexter Lawrence, really honing in on the detail right there as to why Lawrence made that play. And he backed up Cleveland, forcing them into a third and long and an eventual punt. Yeah, he really stood out with this game a lot in terms of defensive play. I think this was definitely a play that, you know, it it looked like it could have changed momentum. We thought there was a fumble, but obviously we see he was down, but it definitely a great play regardless. And he ended up leading to the only giant session of third quarter, if I remember correctly. Yes. So this 
third quarter was very quick. This entire game was very quick moving, folks. And remember that um, the Giants did only have one possession. Uh, This was a promising possession. Colt McCoy did hit Darius Slayton for a 21-yard pass. You notice how Freddie Kitchens tried to get Darius Slayton involved in this game. Four catches for him. That's the most he's had in weeks, quite frankly. Um, But eventually they had to punt away the football. On the Browns' following possession, they would go 95 yards again on 14 plays. The drive lasted over eight minutes. Nick Chubb would gain 38 yards on this drive, and his last was for a one-yard rush touchdown, putting the Browns up 20-3, to Hank. And this touchdown by Nick Chubb, as a matter of fact, it gave him 10-plus rushing touchdowns on the year. This is the first Browns player to do that. Since Trent Richardson back in 2012, that's a long time ago. And if you remember Trent Richardson, he he was a hot uh, guy out of out of Alabama. Everybody loved him when he was a rookie, and he you know he he fell off the map pretty quick. But Nick Chubb seems to be a promising uh, you know third year guy out of Georgia. I really like what I see from Nick Chubb, and he didn't do great against the defense in this game. But the Giants were able to somewhat contain him, but. Nevertheless, the Browns go up 20-3. to Once again, the Giants and the Browns would exchange punts to start the fourth quarter. And again, this was a game where, look, the Giants aren't a very talented football team. There's talent on this roster, top to bottom, don't get me wrong. But compared to their level of competition, it's not as talented as the opposition. As where What I'm saying is Cleveland has more talent than the Giants. However, we, we were very disciplined. We only had two penalties in this game. Both of them came on their first drive of the fourth quarter, a Cam Fleming holding and a Shane Lemieux illegal hands to the face, who continues to outrep Will Hernandez. Uh, the Browns' first drive of the fourth quarter would only go six plays for nine yards, but I want to talk about this, Hank, because this six-play, nine-yard drive, it wasn't very effective yardage-wise, but what it did was it ate up four minutes of clock. Yeah, I, I really... I have to say, I was really impressed with the way that. <laughs> yes, James, I, I was about to get to that. Yes, I would definitely consider that excellent work. I think the Browns, the Browns really did a great job of milking the clock and uh, keep maintaining possession when they could and scoring when they had to. Like, I know it wasn't as much as they did the previous week, but it's little things like that that win football games. And, you know, even though it wasn't necessarily their best performance, I think the Browns basically did some of the things that really helped them win a lot of the other nine games. And they showed pretty much this game, why they're a dangerous football team exactly. and that run game respectfully. And, and this wasn't even their best performance by the run game either. No, it wasn't. The giants did a good job holding them and they made Baker Mayfield beat them, which was one of the keys to the game we mentioned last week. And Baker beat us. He, he, he was good, man. Uh, he's been hot the last few weeks, but let's get back to this game. Quick talk about the last couple of drives giants. We get the football back after that six play nine yard drive from Cleveland. Evan Ingram would have two catches on this drive for 13 and 24 yards respectively, but they would go no further than Cleveland's 21 yard line. They had to settle for a Graham Gano field goal, 39 yards as clock was expiring in the game. Cleveland would punt on their final possession. So the giants defense would get a stop but by then they had essentially salted away the game. They would pretty much seal it with an exclamation point as Miles Garrett and Larry Ogunjobi got a split sack on Colt McCoy on the second to last play of the game. With this loss, the Giants' season now hangs in the balance as Hank, they're pretty much in desperation mode. They need a win against Baltimore 
this Sunday. And the loss also ensures that this will be the seventh straight year that the Giants will be below. Well, seventh out of eight previous years that the Giants will finish below 500. Yes, that is correct. And it pretty much shows you how rough this past decade's been. It has not been friendly to the Giants, to say the least. Um, although the Giants, ironically enough, the Giants could still get into the playoffs with a loss this weekend. If Dallas wins, and um, well, as long as Washington loses, the, yeah. the Giants still have a shot heading into week 17. But you're probably going to need a Dallas win as well over Philadelphia um, because Washington does play Philly that following week in week 17. Giants get the Cowboys. But, Hank, there were a lot of good parts of this game for the Giants. Uh, You know, we got to take the positive out of the negative and kind of make lemonade out of it, folks, if that makes sense. I I mean, it's pretty much been a theme for the Giants all year, trying to turn squeeze the lemons into the lemonade. Yeah, I mean, you got to get as much oil out of, out of the tank as you can. We knew this was going to be what the season was going to be going in, so pretty much that's why we're doing all this, these pros and cons. Well, look, I predicted seven wins. I, I still have a shot. Um, <laughs> you do. You do. I figured – I think the Giants are right around – I think I said six or six or seven. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, let's get into the pros of this game. Andrew Thomas was very stellar and we were actually debating him as our player of the week before he gave up the sack in garbage time to miles Garrett. Um, He can't really hold that against him too much, but it is still a given up sack. He was very impressive. Uh, Graham Gano, his two field goals would extend his Consecutive made field goal streak to 27 in a row. That is one shy of his personal high and two behind the Giants franchise leader in Josh Brown. Interesting fact there, Hank. Yes, it is. And given who's leading it, I really hope he breaks that record. A hundred percent. And, you know, I got to ask you about Colt McCoy. What did you think of Colt McCoy's performance in this game? There are a lot of mixed opinions about it. You know, I wouldn't say he was horrible. I think he was, I think serviceable is the right word to describe it. 19 for 31 for 221 yards. It's not too bad. You know what? He didn't turn the ball over. I think if you'd, if you told me before this game that Colt wouldn't have a turnover, I, I, I would have said sign me up. 100%. And matter of fact, I think it represents his best performance since when he was with Washington two years ago. He had, he had like, what, 24 passes for 268 yards. I don't think they won that game, but it was against Dallas on Thanksgiving. Yeah, you bring up a good point. Uh, he was serviceable, basically, is what I'm trying to say. I don't think he was necessarily spectacular, but I'll, t- I'll definitely – I can live with his performance, basically. No, and he threw the ball down the field a lot more, which was good. The air yards were up compared to Jones. Um, it, it was a decent game by Colt McCoy, I got to say. Um, Darius Slayton had a good performance as well, led the team with 74 receiving yards, highlighted by his 35-yard catch that we showed earlier that actually turned out to be the game's longest play. Uh, And again, we just mentioned this Freddie kitchens took more shots downfield. McCoy had 15 throws of 10 plus yards. Now my question is this, did Freddie kitchens expose Jason Garrett's play calling? Because obviously the two aren't the same. Now I know we had a different quarterback this week, but remember Garrett was calling plays when we had to call McCoy against Seattle. Now do you think the exposure was legit? I would say maybe to an certain extent. I don't know if I would necessarily name Freddie Kitchens as the play caller for the rest of the season, but 
With that said, given what we've seen the past few weeks, I was not too keen on some of Jason Garrett's play calling. And I, I think this was kind of a, I guess you could say it was a breath of breath of fresh air. I, I like the way the Giants are moving the ball in the first half. And I think maybe in other weeks against other teams that could have won the game, but you know, it is what it is. I, I, I definitely think he did a decent job as, as far as replacing Jason Garrett though, is that's, I don't know. I can't say that with hundred percent certainty. I think, I think if we'd see him calling plays against the Ravens next week, maybe. And that's a big maybe. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I don't know if Garrett's eligible for this week yet. I don't know if that's been announced. Yeah, I'm not sure either, but I would not. But with that said, I would not be opposed to having Freddie Kitchens call the plays again. The McCoy looked good when they went on the upbeat side of the game. When they went to the huddle, it was not working, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, when they went fast tempo, um, it, it worked, James. But, um, you know, at the same time, the Browns are a good defense. You got to give them a lot of credit. You're going up against guys like Miles Garrett, Olivier Vernon, BJ Goodson, Denzel Ward. I mean, this is a pretty good defense, and they were very stout in this game. Vernon had a tackle in the backfield at one point. Uh, you know, it was very interesting. But let's move over to the defensive side of the ball. I want to highlight one guy in Dexter Lawrence, and actually, Dexter Lawrence is going to be our New York Giants player of the week. Here he is. Had six tackles in this game, one tackle for a loss, a sack, and the pass defended on Baker on that fourth down stop that the defense had, Hank. How impressed are you, not just with Dexter's performance in this game, but overall throughout the entire season? Oh, I'm definitely pretty impressed. I think over the course of the season, he's slowly been getting better, and I think I think this was probably his best performance of the season by far. And I would even say mate, maybe his, his signature performance of the season, if if that makes sense. Yeah. I agree. Uh, you just look at his numbers. 46 tackles yeah. for a DT. That's pretty good. Uh, four sacks. Again, for a DT, that's pretty darn good. Eight quarterback hits, five TFLs, and he's top 20 in pretty much every – he's top 20, top 25 defensive lineman in run defense, pass rush. And, Hank, you brought up an interesting bullet point. He was rated the top rookie interior defensive lineman by PFF in 2019. We picked him 16th overall. In the 2019 draft, he was. Uh, this was a draft pick that was accumulated in that Odell Beckham trade. Yes, and I think that's another player that really puts the Giants over over the edge in that trade. I think. And your daily reminder that the Giants did win that trade. <laughs> yeah, and can't go wrong with a Clemson guy. True, Clemson guys seem to have the have the good have a good character too. In addition to being good good athletes. Another thing we need to talk about, Dexter was a big part of this run defense that they contained the edges. Uh, Chubb and Hunt combined had 22 runs for only 72 yards. So the run defense limited this outstanding backfield duo, which I thought was going to be the big issue in this game for the Giants, being able to stop the run, despite how highly ranked we are in run defense. A lot of teams, even teams good against the run, have struggled to stop this combination of Chubb and Hunt, because you're not preparing for one running back, you're preparing for two. And this offensive line is the best in football, in my opinion. The defense held Cleveland to 106 rushing yards total. However, Hank, the Browns were 69% on third down, which is, again, one of our keys every week. Giants are going to win. you got to get off the field on third down. And I think that's another significant 
reason why the Browns ended up winning this game. I think the Giants only were able to get off the field in third down four times. That's generally speaking, that's not going to win you games. What, what was another thing you liked about this game? I mean, it pretty much got started right away, right at the opening kickoff, actually. Uh, I would say another thing that helped I liked was uh, the performances of Logan Ryan and Blake Martinez. Blake Martinez had 10 tackles, which, again, at this point, I think we pretty much come to expect that. He's been one of our MVPs of defense, and Logan Ryan's become another unsung hero, and he's he's gotten a lot of pro votes, Pro Bowl votes, and rightfully so. He's been a pretty underrated member of the secondary, and I feel like he probably you could make the argument that he does deserve to go to the Pro Bowl, but we'll get into who should and shouldn't get shouldn't be there much later on in the episode. Yeah. Uh, well, I think Blake Martinez got snubbed. To be honest, yeah. I know they're doing a Madden game this year, but 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 still, I understand it's virtual. But I would have put Blake in there. Logan Ryan got a lot of Pro Bowl votes as well. Nine tackles in this game. Jabril Peppers is had a good year. I mean, here's the thing: I'm generally not one of those people that likes to like complain and get all hyped up about Pro Bowl votes, but I at the same time. I appreciate when guys who are doing well get recognized. So that that's kind of, of so I'm on your side with the Blake Martinez thing. Dion Lewis had a 48 yard kickoff return to open the game. Actually, it was his longest return of the season and longest return by a giant player since Cody Latimer last season. Uh, so that was big. Xavier McKinney saw a lot of football because of the Bradbury injury and Darnay Holmes being out. McKinney got a lot of reps, led the defense with a 70.5 PFF grade. It was also the second game this year where neither team in a Giants game committed a turnover. And one thing I want to point out about this defense, and this will be the last pro before we get into the cons, is the Giants defense held Cleveland to 20 points. Baltimore's defense is ranked higher than ours, who will be playing this weekend. Baltimore gave up 42 points to Cleveland. We only gave up 20. I think it goes to show you how Patrick Graham really loses sleep over trying to in preparation for each week, night in and night out. And it really speaks volumes to him and the job he's done with this team this year. A lot of, a lot of rookies on this defense. Yeah, it's, it's been, he's done a great job. I can't, I can't praise him enough. Yeah. And I really hope we don't lose him in the off season. Folks, quick reminder. If you like what you hear, smash the like button, subscribe to us here at Review and Preview Sports, subscribe to our YouTube channel. And Caitlin will be joining us at 8 p.m. Raven Superfan. Looking really forward to having her to preview the Baltimore game. Uh, and we do have another comment from Steve. Steve, how's it going? Uh, Steve. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, our friend from Philly, big Eagles fan. I believe he's from Philly, right, Hank? I'm going to guess he's either from Philly or or South or Central Jersey. I don't know. Yeah. Um, that Jersey. That's where most Eagles fans I know of are from. Yeah. Um, yeah, no. And we have to talk about the cons. The Giants dropped the two and five at home this year, which is never good. It's the third time this year we failed to reach the red zone, uh, the end zone, I should say. And Hank, this offense, I mean, it's really two different teams. The defense is outstanding. The offense is really crippled. 13 combined points in the last two games. Their lowest total in back-to-back since uh, the first two weeks of 2017. And our 
it, it dates back to 1976, I'm hearing. Yes, that's correct. And it's funny. I was actually looking at all the scores of the 76 Giants. Because you know how when I do the research, looking up all these stats, I tend to fall into rabbit holes. And yeah, you, you do a lot. <laughs> you, you know me when it comes to looking up historic giant teams. I, I enjoy that. I'm very fascinated. Yep. That team was pretty bad. If you look at the scores, it's pretty bad. They did, the most they scored was 28 points on an expansion Seattle Seahawks team. That's how bad the 76 Giants were. Yeah. And the fact that we have just one touchdown pass in the last five games, that's alarming as well you have to have a good offense in the nfl these days in 2020 you can't be playing like it's 1976 like we just mentioned um to be fair playing the steel curtain anyone's gonna get shut out 24 nothing by them that was actually the score of one of those games that i mentioned the steelers were you know they dominated the 70s so i'm not shocked but after six consecutive games where we rushed for over 100 yards the offense uh, didn't really show up. This is the second consecutive game where the Giants have rushed below the century mark. And, you know, this is an offense that's only averaging 17 and a half points a game this year. And the fact that we're still in the mix come week 16 is pretty darn good. Um, it tell, it shows you that Joe Judge and this, co- and this coaching staff have been trying to make chicken salad out of, I'm going to be clean and say chicken feathers. <laughs> I'm assuming you probably when know. When you play that. a team like uh, I do, yes. But when you play a team like the Browns, there's fewer opportunities to run the football because the Browns are going to eat up a lot of clock, and normally they're going to be very effective with the football. Alfred Morris and Wayne Gallman combined only had 16 carries for 39 and 29 yards, respectively. And this is in part because the defense had trouble with Baker Mayfield. You know, we point the finger at the offense, but at the same time, the defense struggled this game. Baker Mayfield threw for just under 300 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. And we look at the stats. Take a look at the stats. On play-action passes, Baker was 9 of 12, 91 yards and two scores. When he threw for 10-plus air yards, he was 11 of 13, over 170 yards. And against the Blitz, 14 of 16. That's very difficult to do against the Blitz. That's over a 90% completion percentage, folks, and 130 yards. So right there. It explains it. I mean, you can we can talk about how the defense probably could have been better on Baker, but we got to give credit to Baker. We we said last week you got to make him beat you. You know what he did? Tip your hat. You got to tip your hat to the guy for sure. Jarvis Landry, like I mentioned before, uh, seven catches, sixty-one yards. He's been great as of late. I knew it was going to be trouble guarding him without Bradbury Bunker in there. Rashard Higgins was actually the leading receiver. Yeah, the secondary really looked a lot different without Holmes and and Bradbury Bunker, for sure. Um, Peoples-Jones had some big catches. He had three catches, 55 yards. And Austin Hooper, five catches, 41 yards, and a score. So that was big. And then the Browns had two 95-yard drives. That resulted in touchdowns. That's unacceptable. I mean, the defense couldn't get off the field. The um, That's the longest – those were the longest drives against the Giants since the Minnesota Vikings went for 98 yards in week five of 2019. Incidentally, that was uh, actually the first game I logged NBC, fun fact. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, and then. Um, so, yeah, I remember. Uh, yep, I am a Milwaukee fan, but uh, 
Do you have, he wants to know if you have a basketball. Hank's not really a basketball guy. Yeah, I'm not really hardcore. I'm, I, I guess you could say I'm a casual Nick fan at best. I mean, I, I'd be happy if they won a title, but if they won, it wouldn't make me as happy as it would if the Giants yeah. won the Super Bowl. I'm not the biggest basketball guy either. Um, you know, I haven't watched much over the last few years, but, um, you know, I mean, I, I, I it, it is exciting. But uh, back to the Giants, the again, the Browns were 9-13 on third down. The Giants are now 13 and 19 against teams that played on a short week. So the previous week's Monday Night Football, when you play the Giants on a short week, uh, you, the odds are in your favor, oddly enough, which, you know, it's weird. You think, oh, we can catch a team on a short week. Well, the Giants have a lot of trouble with that. <laughs> it's easier said than done, man. And uh, the Giants are now 22, 31, and 1 on Sunday Night Football. I hope I'm reading that correctly. Yes, you uh, are. Okay. But that's Sunday night overall. We're twelve and twenty yeah. since NBC since NBC made Sunday night football thing in two thousand six. And we've been on thirty two Sunday night footballs. The majority of those probably against the Cowboys. <laughs> yeah, I think that sounds about right. But another thing too, we just want to point out the injuries before we dive into the key takeaways from this game. Giants were without several key players. We know the man under center, Daniel Jones, most important guy. Saquon Barkley has been out the whole season. James Bradbury, O'Shane Zimenez, Kyler Fackrell, who we're hoping to get back this week from a calf injury, Lorenzo Carter, who's out for the year. So right there, that's those are our three best pass rushers on this team. Carter, Zimenez, and Fackrell, they're all out. You know, we're down to guys like Jabal Sheard and Carter Coughlin out there. Uh, and then we have Darnay Holmes as well, who's been out um, for a little bit now. And James says the way it looked, the Giants look they had a short week. Yeah. I guess. That's he's not wrong though. Yeah. Key takeaways. Uh what do we take away from this game? Because Cleveland I think Cleveland has more to take away from it than the Giants do. The Browns are a legit football team. First ten plus winning year in thirteen seasons. Now the question is, can they win a playoff game? I mean, or make some noise. I, I don't know. I think it depends on who they play. And I, I want to say legitimately, I'm happy for them. That's I've grown. We've pretty much grown accustomed to Cleveland being the lapping stop and the doormat of the NFL. And remember, they it wasn't too long ago that they went zero and sixteen. They even had a one and fifteen season the year before that. Yeah, so it's it's pretty amazing their turnaround. And I think they're a team that probably would be capable of throwing in an upset if given the chance, making the playoffs, but. Obviously, they have to win at least one or two of their remaining games for that to happen. But, yeah, I wouldn't be shocked. And there's even an outside shot for them to steal that division away from Pittsburgh because they had, they had that upset loss in Cincinnati. And if Pittsburgh loses to the Colts, they're in big trouble. Yeah. No, they are. That's yeah, going to be big trouble. The Browns are still in play for the division because of the way they played against the Giants. They're now 10-4. and four. So and if I'm be- being honest, like, Pittsburgh – I, th- I think they've played their best football this season. I feel like they've peaked. Like they had some of their best linebackers, and now they're out for the season. I would somehow not be shocked if somehow they lost. But I still think they're going to hold on. Don't get me wrong; they're limping in the playoffs. But still, I I just feel like that team's. We've seen them play their best football, and the Browns are just they're dangerous. 
Baker Mayfield is also dangerous. Eight and one versus non-divisional opponents this year. Ton of respect for his performance. Although the play calling and ball movement has improved for the Giants, the offense still has its flaws. Would a healthy Daniel Jones have made a difference in this game, realistically speaking? To be honest, I I think it probably would have. There were some throws that Colt McCoy was unable to make that I feel like if Dan, if we had a healthy Daniel Jones, he probably would have made a better throw, and I think that I think they would have resulted in touchdowns. So, and you know, you'd like to think maybe if Daniel Jones was healthy, maybe the maybe we're not even having the discussion about Joe Judge and going forward on fourth downs too. Right. So. I would say yes, but then again, given who their opponent is, I feel like maybe it would have been a closer game. I don't, I don't think it would have been 26 if you had a healthy Daniel Jones, at the very least. Yeah, we haven't scored over 20 points in four weeks. It's been crazy. Uh, the Giants have to continue to run the football. I noticed in this game the offensive line rotation slowed down because Matt Pert missed the game due to an ailment. It was an illness, non-COVID-related Uh, He did not play. Uh, It could have been stomach pains or something. I'm not sure what it was. I believe, again, I don't want to assume anything, but I believe that's kind of the direction where that was. Um, Do I, do I think Buffalo is the second team in the, in the AFC Uh, right now? Yes, Steve, right now. Yes. Yeah. Um, I would have to agree. That's a team that has low key been one of the best in the AFC. And I would not be shocked if they made noise either. Yep. hundred percent. So say what you want about Joe Judge's decisions, but the game proves he's willing to take a gamble. Even if it's risky and they fail, this could serve well for the Giants in years to come when the football team improves and gets older. And Hank, uh, Joe Judge quoted after the game, field goals weren't going to win this game. I do agree with him. Field goals weren't going to win this game. But in those situations, I think you have to take the points. I mean... There's two ways you can look at it. Yes, if the field goal probably would make this game closer, and maybe the Giants have a chance to tie the game in the second half in the fourth quarter. But with that being said, and as we've established, you knew Cleveland was going to be a challenge coming into this game. And I think Joe Judge is that type of guy that he'll go to a casino and he's not afraid to shove his chips in the middle and go all in and then come out having to wait for the free buffet. Let's be realistic here. He's not Jim Fossil. Yeah, I, I don't know if he's going to shove his chips to the middle of the, of the table. Just you get where I was going metaphorically. Maybe, so. in, maybe in three years from now. Um, look, Darnay but Holmes. Bottom line is, bottom line is, I like that he's that he's willing to take a risk when he feels that it's necessary, and yeah. I do think that it could serve them well going forward. I think so too. And going forward, we have to look out because this team needs to improve health wise. Darnay Holmes, it was announced that he will miss week 16's game. The Giants desperately need Bradbury back and they will have him back for the Ravens game. It proved too much to overcome in this game, not having Bradbury or Darnay Holmes. That's why Higgins, Landry, Peoples-Jones, Austin Hooper, whoever it was, they were just running free, running open. That can't happen against Baltimore because they have a better tight end. Mark Andrews, we have to worry about. Hollywood Brown's another player. Uh, Willie Sneed. They have guys on that roster that can make plays. And, hey, Cleveland's running game, it proved to be somewhat of a factor. It wasn't the biggest game yardage-wise, but it was enough to control the clock. I I think it was effective enough that that they won it. Yeah, Yeah. that's how they win games. That's how they win games. So, yeah, Um, in my book, that's considered a key factor. 
Yep. And then a couple former Giants we want to touch on. Olivier Vernon had three tackles, one for a loss, and B.J. Goodson with seven stops. So uh, that was interesting to follow there, them in this game. It was a, uh, it was a quiet Giants-Browns game because there was all hype around this game. Oh, Giants against Odell Beckham. And, of course, no shocker, Odell doesn't make it to week 15 in the season. I'm not shocked. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm not shocked either. And I'm no shade, no shade. Maybe a little. Uh, um, I'm not an Odell guy. Can I add this, though? I'm not shocked that Baker got better without him. 100%. 100%. I'm not shocked at all. And Please percent it, it up. wasn't even just that that made the game lose its luster. It was the fact that we lost Daniel Jones, and we also didn't have Jason Garrett, although that turned out to not be – the latter didn't turn out to be as bad of a loss, but – it, it didn't have the same hype that people thought, is, is what I'm and trying to say. And James says, don't throw the ball to your center. Fair. <laughs> Fair. I mean, hey. Yeah. I think any team should should take that play out of their playbook. if, if they even <laughs> Special teams has shown signs of improvement after some down performances, in particular the Cincinnati and Arizona games. But I'm going to say – the special teams has been fantastic all season, whether it's been Tay Crowder, Carter Coughlin, a couple of seventh-round picks that, quite frankly, Dave Gettleman and Joe Judge nailed. Um, Coughlin had four tackles in this game. He's been getting a lot of reps lately. Tay Crowder had six tackles. He's pretty much overtaken Mayo for the second inside linebacker role. And that's tough to do because Mayo was one of the leading tacklers for us last year. He was number two on the team in tackles. And Tate Crowder, Mr. Irrelevant, is pretty darn relevant now, if you ask me. Uh, what are your thoughts on these two guys? I've actually, over the course of the season, I've, I've slowly been like been impressed with the way they played. I really liked them. I know, I know he didn't have the best game against the Cardinals, but even then I thought he had, he had a few good moments. Yep. Carter Coughlin, that is who I'm talking about. So – and Devontae Downs, too, he's, he's had some big plays of his own, including the Washington game. So, yeah, I'll, I, Joe Judge and um, gentlemen, good job. Your friendly reminder that in just 10 minutes, Caitlin McCarthy, Baltimore Ravens super fan, will be joining us on the show to talk all things Ravens-Giants heading into Week 16 in just four days. She'll be on in just a few minutes. But before then, let's just wrap this uh, key takeaway segment up, saying that the Giants season is pretty much now on the brink. They were unable to capitalize on a Washington loss. They lost to Seattle 20-15, to and the Giants are one game back in the division with two games remaining. In fact, they ultimately throw fall to third since Dallas now has the same amount of wins as them at 5-9. and nine. They will play Week 17, so the Giants do control their own destiny against Dallas. They uh, pretty much... In my opinion, they need to beat Baltimore. Their playoff hopes are alive, but they don't have control of their own destiny. I think it would help if we beat Baltimore this weekend, but I think the game that matters the most is the Cowboys game because if Dwayne Haskins plays, I don't feel confident in Washington beating Carolina this weekend, and whoever wins between Philly-Dallas, that's going to be a crapshoot. I feel like we should be rooting for Dallas in this game. I'm not going to root for either team. Whoever wins, wins. Whoever loses, loses. Generally speaking, I tend, I'm one of the few Giant fans. No offense, Steve. It's nothing against you, but I tend to root for Dallas over Philly yeah. just because of certain games that have irked me in the past. But yeah. I digress. I do agree. I, I think 
them tying probably could help, but a win against Baltimore, I think would definitely be very important for sure. Yep. So we will preview the, we will start previewing the giants Baltimore game, getting into some of the uh, top categories before Caitlin comes on with the Ravens. They won against Jacksonville last Sunday, 40 to 14, a much needed win. They are still alive in the AFC playoff race. They're tied with Miami for the seventh seed. It'll be interesting to follow them. They pretty much have the easiest schedule left on paper out of all the teams in the wild card race, Miami, Baltimore, Vegas. And for the Giants, Bradbury was activated off the COVID list. That's great. Defensive back Monte Hardage reverts back to the practice squad. So we get Bradbury back. And there's a chance we might get Fackrell back. I don't think he was designated to return yet off of IR. We're hoping we can get him back from his calf injury. That would be a huge upgrade over Jabal Sheard and Carter Coughlin. Uh, The Giants designate running back Devontae Freeman to return with an ankle injury. He injured his ankle in the first Philadelphia game back in week seven. He has not played since then. So we may get him back. I don't I will probably be eased back into the rotation. I still think Goldman should be the primary ball handler there. Uh Daniel Jones is questionable. Evan Ingram and James Bradbury were named to the Pro Bowl this week. Hank. Bradbury, I get, leads the NFL and passes defended. Three picks. He's lived up to the hype, but Evan Ingram had has one touchdown reception this year. Did he deserve to make the Pro Bowl? No. No, I'm just going to be blunt and say it. No. I mean, look, I get it. Is he a threat? Yeah. Is he talented? Absolutely. But did he put up the numbers that really justify a Pro Bowl? In my opinion, no. I think I can think of at least three players on this team that probably were more deserving, including, but probably maybe not limited to, Blake Martinez. And I'm going to even throw Logan Ryan in there and possibly Leonard Williams. Yeah, they were more deserving. I think with the NFC, a lot of the good tight ends were out this year. Uh, George Kittle was out majority of the season, but Rob Tanyan had 10 touchdowns, and you don't put him in over Evan Ingram. I mean, don't get me wrong. By the way, Tom, let me, uh, let's see if you know this. Here's a very easy trivia question. Do you know the other two Giants who've made it to the Pro Bowl? Or tight ends, rather. Yeah, Shockey, and it has to be Bavaro. Yes, sir. Yep. And one of them right behind you, uh, Notre Dame guy, by the way. But anyway, um, Evan Ingram has been healthy the whole season. That's one positive we can take from this year. But a man who's caused six turnovers, drop I'm sorry, six drop passes, some of them have led to turnovers. Uh, again, hopefully Jason Garrett is back this week. Uh, right now it's looking like it's going to come down to the end of the week if he's cleared. I'm pretty sure he can coach on Sunday. So – I think he's going to be back, but nothing has been stated yet. So I'm not going to say the chances are 50, 50. Yeah. I want to be mad if Freddie kitchens is OC again. Uh, We have the 30th ranked offense in the league, 29th in passing 16th in rushing. Hank, who would you prefer to see as the OC on Sunday? If Garrett's fully healthy, you know, if it were up to me, I would maybe do what Tom Coughlin did in 06 when he um, when he put what's his name when he stripped the play calling where oh, he has a weird name. 
No, 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 the other guy. He was our offensive coordinator. Huffnagle. You know, John, John, John Huffnagle. Yeah, Huffnagle. Yeah. I could see his face in my head. I just was forgetting his name. When he stripped it away from Huffnagle and gave it to Gilbride. I wouldn't. I, if it were up to me, I would do that and give give um, Kitchens a play calling just to give it a shot and go with the hot hand because it worked well. Why fix what wasn't? Right. I don't want to say why fix wasn't broken, but why why break up what somewhat worked better than the last few weeks? Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. No, I agree with you there. Um, we also have to look at the series between the Giants and the Ravens. There is a little bit of history between these two franchises. The Ravens did beat us in. Super Bowl 35, that was a tough blow. The Ravens lead the all-time series 4-2, but the Giants did win the last meeting back in 2016. That was our last playoff appearance. We won 27-23. That was week six, I think. Yep. Uh, The game ended with an Eli – well, not the game ended, but the game was highlighted by an Eli Manning 66-yard touchdown pass to Odell Beckham Jr. The uh, minute 20 left in that game. Yep. Yep. And then the last time we went to Baltimore, we got slaughtered 33-14, week 16 of the 2012 season. That pretty much ended our hopes of going to the playoffs, unfortunately. And, of course, we know the infamous game against the Baltimore Colts. <laughs> yes, I'll give, yes. Are you, re- you guys ready for this fun fact? Yep. The last time the Giants – even won a game in Baltimore, 1963. And, Tom, I got another trivia question for you. Let's see if you know who the coach of that Baltimore Colts squad was. You might know who the Giants coach was, too. Steve Owen? No, Steve Owen. No, you're way, way too late for Steve Owen. I don't even know if he's still alive in the 63. It's not McVay. Tell me. Ali Sherman. Now, as far as the Colts coach, he was very. I have, I have no guesses, dude. <laughs> Don Shula. Don that was Shula. Ever as a head coach. Yeah. He was a great one, one of the best coaches of all time. Uh, mm-hmm. You and your historical facts, I got to say, you're, uh, you're something else. <laughs> Oh. I love it. It's I. What can I say? History is always fascinating. I, <laughs> I love. I like finding all these cool nuggets when researching these games. So I just wanted to say that the Giants can still win this division at six and ten, at six and ten, um, which is astonishing. What would need to happen is the following: so Carolina would have to beat Washington this weekend. Dallas would have to beat Philadelphia. We lose to Baltimore. We go into week 17 at 5 and 10. Then we play Dallas. We'd have to beat them. And then Philadelphia would have to beat Washington. Now, is this likely? Probably not. But I'm going to go out on a limb and say that this could happen. I I still think the Giants have a shot. I'm going to be cautiously optimistic. But right now, I have to give Washington the edge by a hair. I just don't. I don't like again. I know I made my guarantee when the Giants were two and seven that we were going to win the division, but um, let's be a little realistic here. Washington has been the better football team as of late, so we'll see what happens. I like your spirit though when making that guarantee. Then you, you got to be a little, uh, got to be a little funny sometimes when you bring these things up. But uh, at this time, we're going to bring on our guest for the evening, uh, Baltimore Ravens superfan Caitlin McCarthy. Caitlin. Welcome. Happy holidays. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. No problem. Is that a Ravens hat you got on? It is, yes. Nice. Very, 
pretty cool. Thank you. Very festive. Uh, can you uh, just tell us like what you do, like your pot, your podcast? Tell us a little bit about that so that people watching can know. Um, so I do a weekly podcast. It's on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It's called Kicking Off with Caitlin. Um, it covers the NFL. Um, each week I do predictions um, for each game that goes on. I uh, cover the news that goes around the league every week. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Make sure to go check that out at Kicking Off with Caitlin. And we're going to talk about this Giants-Ravens game. I know your Ravens have been doing pretty well over the last couple of weeks, in particular since the Cleveland game, which ended off very uh, well for you guys. And I got to ask, where do you see the Ravens as a possible playoff team? Disappointing ending a year ago. Is this a team that's capable of making some noise? I think we can get somewhere in the playoffs, but I think that since there's so many good teams right now in the AFC that it might be hard for us to go far. Um, I do think the Ravens are going to squeeze their way into a wild card this year. It is going to be tough because we don't control our own destiny like we did last year. We have to rely on other teams to lose. But considering our last two games, we play the Giants and the Bengals, we have an easier schedule compared to the Browns, Colts, and Dolphins. So I do feel that we are going to have an edge up and make our way into the wild card race this year. I got to agree. I think basically out of, we just talked about it, Baltimore, Miami, and Vegas, you have the easiest schedule. You have us, and you should beat us. And then you have Jacksonville, who you also should beat, where I think Miami splits. What do you think, Hank? Wait. I thought they beat Jacksonville last week. I'm sorry, not Jacksonville. Who do you play week 17? We Cincinnati? play the, yeah. the Bengals week 17, no? That's who it is. The Colts play the Jaguars, though, and then the Colts have the Steelers this week. So that might be weird. You might have to root for your uh, – <laughs> Colts lost to the Jaguars again? That's right. They lost week one, wasn't it? That was an insane game. Yeah, that was the only win the Jaguars got. The whole season. Yeah. And 1-0 and now since 1-13, 1-4. and They're probably going to be 1-14 this week. But and that make it the number one pick? Yeah. Anyways, let's talk about your quarterback, Lamar Jackson. His numbers, obviously, we've seen they're not the best compared to last year. But his last few games, he had some big performances. Is he a quarterback that you feel can be trusted in the big game? I think ever since um, he – had COVID, I feel that he is back to his MVP self from last season. Um, he struggled a lot in the games before that. He struggled, especially against the Patriots, which was a game I didn't think that um, we should have lost or that he should have struggled in, um, considering the Patriots' defense hasn't been great all this season. But I think that the Ravens honestly needed to lose a few games to get momentum, and I feel like we have momentum now. And I think that Lamar Jackson proved himself against the Browns that he can win games with his arm, not only his legs. Um, I think if he continues to play the way he is right now, that he can be trusted in big games. But I do think it's going to come down to if he could win a playoff game. I think that's going to be the big question because he's been in it the past two seasons, was unable to get a win. So I think if the Ravens make the playoffs this year, he's going to have to win the game or he's not going to be considered a top quarterback in the league. 
Yeah, I would tend to agree. I think I think a win could really help him in terms of the way we view him. And yeah, that Browns game that was huge, and I can't believe he came back the way he did. That that was crazy. Yeah, it was fun. It was actually kind of exciting watching, but also very stressful at the same time. Um, it was like a movie, and <laughs> I feel like that game just like gave us the momentum for the rest of the season. Because if we didn't win that game, it was pretty much over. Even though there was obviously still three more weeks to go um, in the regular season. But I just felt like that was just like the spark we needed. And that was like a game we really need to win. And like the Ravens played the Browns week one, but that was a totally different Browns team. I felt like they told, they came together on both sides of the ball throughout the season. So that was a completely different Browns team that we played two weeks ago. And it was a huge win for the Ravens. Yeah, we saw how the, they played against the Giants, particularly last week. They really have gotten better and have come a long way since that game. They have. They have. Folks, if you have any questions, comments for Caitlin, feel free to comment in the comments section. We'll get back to you as soon as we can regarding Ravens-Giants. Um, actually, my best friend is a Ravens fan, so we've been talking about it the whole week, and it's uh, you know, I, I'm pretty much trying to boost his ego, ego up a little bit heading into this game. <laughs> um, Let's talk about, Caitlin, your offensive line. And obviously, Marshall Yanda retired in the offseason. And then Ronnie Stanley, I'm a big Notre Dame fan, and Ronnie Stanley is out for the year. But Orlando Brown is trying to play his way into a contract extension. Talk about him and this Baltimore offensive line, which, in part, a lot of people thought would somewhat struggle. Not really struggle, but not be as good as they were last year. But Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins, they're the best rushing attack in the NFL. Well, with them and Lamar, of course, that trio, triple-headed monster, I like to call. The whole line has been absolute recipe for success. Yeah, so um, I think that the offensive line definitely struggled, especially um, when Ronnie Stanley went down. We also had issues at the center. Masker has was having difficulty snapping the ball. We had to make a lot of adjustments on the offensive line. But ever since we made those adjustments, um, it's definitely been successful. Um, I think they are doing a better job by protecting Lamar Jackson. Um, he had zero sacks um, in the Cowboys game like three weeks ago. Um, and they are doing a great job for the running game because that's a huge part of the Ravens offense is that running game. And I felt like it also struggled a little bit throughout the middle of the season because of the offensive line, because it always starts with the offensive line and that's a, that's where it has to start for every single play. And if your offensive line can't protect um, the quarterback and running backs, um, the offense isn't going to be successful. So to see that they have adjusted to all the injuries on the line and with Marshall Yonda retiring, um, it's really good to see how successful it's been. And I hope that Orlando Brown can get a contract extension. I think he deserves it um, by the way he's playing. Um, but yeah, I do hope that, um, that they continue this success for the offensive line, especially going through um, the last couple of weeks of the season, which will be much needed, especially in this game against the Giants. Yeah, and uh, another another key factor on your offense would be Mark Andrews, a tight end. And as Tom and I have probably mentioned a million times, the Giants cannot cover tight ends. And if I had a dollar for every time I'd say that, I'd be a very rich man and I'd be at every Giant game by now. But – Anyways, we know he's a big threat. He's got seven touchdowns and four, and he's the fourth-ranked touch tight end in the league, regardless of how the Giants cover tight ends. What do you see that makes him such a big threat? 
Um, I think he's a good threat for the Ravens um, because he's a good blocker for the offense, but he's also a great receiver. The Ravens have struggled for so many years with their wide receivers. Um, they've had much success in their tight ends throughout all of their years that I've been a fan from Todd Heap, Dennis Pitta, all the way now to Mark Andrews. Um, so I think that he is going to be a problem for the Giants, um, although the Giants have had a good defense this year. They... Um, definitely improved a lot from last year but since mark andrews is so versatile in how he can block and also be a good receiver i think that will be an issue yeah i mean the thing with me is you look at the giants the last two weeks right they've given up receiving touchdowns to dan arnold from the cardinals two weeks ago you're like well who the hell is dan arnold (laughs) (laughs) last week austin hooper who is finally starting to get out of his slump a little bit even in the Philadelphia game, Richard Rodgers. Yeah, third-string tight end. Both Giants-Eagles games this year, the Philadelphia third-string tight end leads them in receiving. So, it, folks, if you have Mark Andrews in fantasy and you're in the championship, you're going to – he's a must-start this week. Don't leave him on your bench. He's going – if you don't win, you, you can blame me. <laughs> but um, I really like Mark Andrews this week. That's the bottom line. This defense, though, Caitlin, it's led by Don, they call him Wink Martindale. This is a unit we know is one of Baltimore's strong suits. Top to bottom, they're great. How vital will it be with everyone on it being healthy in this game? Because that defense, I believe they're ranked ninth in total defense, I want to say. So they have a lot of guys, Clayus Campbell, you acquired Yannick Ngakwe, and the cornerbacks are fantastic. Yeah, I think he's done a great job with the defense. Um, This is his third season as a defensive coordinator. Uh, He was previously um, the linebackers coach. So he's been around that Ravens defense even before he was named the defensive coordinator. Um, I really like him. I love what he's done with our defense. And especially um, with all the injuries that the defense has had this year. Like, Calais Campbell, he's a great player, but he's definitely struggled ever since his calf injury. He's not been the same, and you could just tell on the field. And also with the cornerbacks, um, Marcus Peters right now is um, also with the calf injury. Jimmy Smith is uh, struggling this season. So with all of the injuries and obstacles that the defense has had this year and to still be ranked ninth in total defense is pretty amazing. Um, and I feel like he's just done a really good job for the defense because the Ravens, for all of the years I've been a fan, their defense has always been strong. Um, probably one of like the best part of our football team. So um, I think he's done a really good job with the defense. Uh, quickly here, we have a comment from Steve. He asks you, are you surprised of Mark Ingram's downslide this year after he had such a good year in 2019? I was surprised in the beginning of the season. I really did like him so much last year, and I felt like he was really great for that running game. But I feel that he's now becoming older. He's not as fast um, and valuable as he was in his previous years. Um, And ever since we drafted J.K. Dobbins, I feel like Mark Ingram isn't really needed anymore. And J.K. Dobbins has definitely made a statement in his rookie year. Um, Besides Lamar Jackson and Gus Edwards, he's right up there with um, his rushing yards. He's had four straight games with a rushing touchdown. Like He's really filled in that spot for the Ravens running game. Um, and I also think that Gus Edwards has done a great job. He's been on the team for a few years. Um, and I feel that 
Mark Ingram isn't really needed anymore for this Ravens running game to be successful. And I don't think he's obviously going to return next year and that we will be um, doing well with J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards, as well as Lamar Jackson for our running game going forward. So let's get back to the secondary. We see that it's featured. It mainly consists of Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters. What has impressed you the most about this group? Um, I think um, they've just been able to make plays. Uh, Marlon Humphrey has about nine forced fumbles this season, and he's just been so great on that Ravens defense. He's been there since uh, 2017. And I feel like people don't give him enough credit for what he does. Um, He's a very good player. He's very good at what he does. I also love Marcus Pierce. He's probably my favorite player right now. Um, Fortunately, obviously he's hurt right now, but hopefully he can be healthy uh, going forward because he's definitely going to be needed in the playoffs. And when he was injured and not doing so great in the Browns game, you could definitely tell how important he is to that team because when he was struggling um, because of his injury, um, the receivers were obviously getting more yards and catches and things like that. So they're a huge part to that defense. And I feel like um, Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey are in the top five cornerback duo in the NFL and they don't get credit that they deserve. Yeah, no, they don't. They're great. Both of them have a knack for just causing turnovers. You mentioned, I believe it's like eight or nine forced fumbles Humphrey has this year. I mean, he's pretty close to 10 and that's something cornerbacks don't necessarily do a whole lot. He has a knack for punching that ball out. And another kid I really like is Patrick queen, the rookie out of LSU leads the team in tackles. I want to say 98 tackles and uh, was actually getting some consideration for the pro bowl this season as a rookie. That's very, illustrious and him acquiring him Yannick and Gakwe can you hone in on those two guys for a second and just talk about their impact because Yannick and Gakwe it took him a while to get his feet wet in Baltimore's defensive scheme but he did have two sacks last week I like what I've seen from him and Patrick Queen is all over the place yeah so Yannick and Gakwe um he had a huge game last week, and I was also just going to say that I think it took him a little while to get used to the Ravens' defense. Um, with his two sacks, he also had a forced fumble against his former team, Jacksonville. Um, definitely made a huge statement. Um, I've also noticed from him in uh, previous games that he is very good at um, applying pressure to the quarterback. He's obviously, besides last week's game, he's hasn't really been able to um, complete sacks Um on the team, but now that he's starting to get more used to it, obviously he had two sacks last week. Um, he's definitely applying a lot of pressure to that quarterback. Um, I honestly love Patrick Queen. He was a great addition to um, this defense, and I'm so excited to see what he's going to do in the future. I honestly thought he deserved to be in the Pro Bowl because he is leading the team in tackles. He has three sacks, two forced fumbles, and um, a defensive touchdown. Like He's been so great to that um linebacker position which has been weak um a few years ago um cj mosey our captain of the defense our leader of the defense left to go to the jets um we also had zadari smith lead to the packers and then it was just Madjunar, which was honestly the only linebacker making plays and now that we have patrick queen and we also have malik harrison um that has been getting his time also on defense seeing all of those players has been like such a huge impact for this defense um I think Patrick Queen and Yannick Nagakwe are going to 
be dominant as the rest of this season goes and um, for future seasons ahead. John Suggs comments, uh, Steelers are not a Super Bowl team. <laughs> Care to chime in, Caitlin, there? What's your thoughts on Pittsburgh lately? Do they have a get-right game this weekend, or do you see the slide can continue? So, unfortunately, I have to root for the Steelers this week because they are playing the Colts. I don't think the Steelers are going to win this game. I think the Colts um, are doing really well. But other than that, the Steelers – they went 11 and 0 and then they lost three straight as everybody knows, but they just haven't looked the same with all the drop passes. Um, the Steelers red zone offense has been awful. Like Ben Rosberger had 19 passing yards in the first half on Monday night. He was just horrendous. And I feel before they lost in the games, I did feel that they were overrated. I did feel that they kind of were getting lucky in games, especially since when they played the Ravens um, at the end of November. They played the Ravens practice squad, and they barely beat them. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that I, if the Steelers – obviously the Steelers are going to be in the playoffs. They clinch a spot right now. But it's still determined if they're going to win the, the AFC North because the Browns are right behind them. And depending on how this week's game goes between Cleveland and New York Jets, as well as Pittsburgh and Indianapolis, it could be um, a Week 17 game for the division. And with the way that the Steelers are playing, I don't think they're honestly even going to win a game in the AFC because, like I said before, that there's so many good teams in the AFC right now that, like, Pittsburgh, I feel like they lost their momentum um, and I feel that if the Ravens have to play the Steelers again in the playoffs, I do think that the Ravens are the better team right now and they have momentum because honestly, the teams that get hot right now towards the end of the seasons are the teams that make a stretch in the playoffs. Like we saw last year, the Tennessee Titans, nobody saw them coming into the playoffs. They uh, went for the, they were the number six seed um, last year and they went all the way to the AFC championship. So I feel like it's teams like that, that make um, a run. And I don't think the Steelers are going to go anywhere. Yeah, I I, to pick, to come uh, as I was saying earlier. I think the Steelers. I feel like they pretty much played their best football when they in their first eleven games. Like, and we didn't even mention the fact that they lost two of their linebackers, Devin Bush and Bud Dupree. They're done. Mm-hmm. They lost. And you look at the way their offense has been. I, I would not be surprised if they get bounced in the first rounds. Yeah, and also, like, obviously in- those two injuries were crucial for that uh, Pittsburgh defense. But at the same time, like, every team deals with injuries because if you think about it, when they played the Bengals, the Bengals don't have Joe Burrow and they didn't have Joe Mixon. They were playing with their backup quarterback and um, a different running back. So I feel that um, it's just, like, you have to make the best of, like, what you have. Like, injuries are going to happen all the time in football. Now – First of all, I want to see uh, Steve's comment. I tell you who the Steelers don't want to see. Is I, don't, I don't know if they're red hot. Um, yeah. I mean, the Dolphins are good, but I'm I'm not 100% sure that they're going to the playoffs, if I'm being honest. I, In fact, I actually think they might. I can easily – I think they're definitely going to lose one of their last two games, in my opinion. But um, what was I going to say? Let me follow that up with a question about the Browns, another team in your division. What do you think of their chances to possibly steal the AFC North? Because now all of a sudden with the Steelers losing the Bengals and Cincinnati, which I, I think it's only the third time that's happened ever since, like, what, 2003? That's crazy. They were yeah. due. 
<laughs> yeah, they were very guilty. Um, yeah. That, just out of curiosity. Yeah, um, so I think that right now the Browns are better than the Steelers. I think um, the Browns still, I feel, have a little bit more to prove. Baker Mayfield's definitely improven. He's been a little bit more consistent throughout the end of the season. Um, I think that it is a really high possibility that the Browns may take this division, considering that um, the Steelers do have to play the Colts, and they've been um, on a good uh, – they've been really well this season. Their defense has been playing really well. Philip Rivers has been um, a really big key to that offense. I feel like he looks like a totally different quarterback since he was um, on the Chargers. I feel like he fits better into that team. Um, for the Browns, I mean, they play the Jets. I mean, you never know what's going to happen considering the Rams just lost to the Jets. But I don't think the Browns are going to let that happen. I feel like the Rams kind of overlooked their opponent last week and just thought, like, oh, we could just easily beat the Jets. But the Jets, I have to give them credit because even though they only won one game this whole season, they've they put, they put um, a lot of energy. They fight every game, especially against the Raiders. But anyways, um, it's, I don't know. It's going to be a close one. I can't right at this moment. I can't tell who's going to win that week 17 matchup. If it has to come to the vision, um, because I don't know if the Steelers are really going to lose five in a row. I don't know if I can see that happening, even though it's really high possibility. Um, I just feel like it depends how they play this week. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. I think if you'd, if we if you told me I was even going to ask this question like three weeks ago, I would have thought you were nuts. <laughs> like I, I would have thought no chance the Cleveland Browns are going to like have a chance, but it's crazy how things can change like in an instant. I mean, there's a reason that sometimes people call the NFL not for a long while. Yeah, and like although the Browns lost to the Ravens two weeks ago, they they played amazing for that game. They put up uh, 42 points. Um, Baker Mayfield looked. He, he, I felt like he kind of struggled in the first half, but once as the game went on, he was completing every pass. I felt like I was watching that game. I was like, why is he catch? Why are they catching every single pass? I was just like, um, so yes, I definitely think it's going to be interesting to see how that works out week 17. Yeah. Um, circling back to this game, this weekend, Giants Ravens, what scares you the most about playing the Giants, if anything? Because they're obviously an improved team from last season, but you know, you know there, there's, there's still a lot of holes on on the Giants, and then, you know there's some holes on the Ravens too. They've kind of taken a little decline from last season. But what what um, you say is the Giants' major strength that might uh, confuse Baltimore a little bit on Sunday? Um, I think it's going to have to be the Giants' rushing defense. Um, the Giants have definitely been able to hold um, the running game in their past couple of games. I mean, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt are definitely like top tier. Uh, running back duo I, I would have to say and they were holding them to about like three yards per rush which you don't we don't see that from those two usually um and especially since that the Giants are definitely know that the Ravens are the Ravens offense is a running offense that they mainly rely on their running game I feel like they're going to be prepared for that they're going to be prepared to um face Dobbins and Edwards so I feel that Lamar is going to have to rely a little bit more on his passing game um and i feel like this game is going to come down to how accurate um each offense can be because also it's not unsure if daniel jones or colt mccoy is going to play for the giants but i feel like it's going to come down to the offenses and which one's going to be better since both defenses have been really well playing well this year um 
But I do think that the Ravens have the edge. Um, I think that since Lamar's last three games, he's been pretty accurate with the ball. He's been showing um, to all of us that he can pass the ball and that um, he can win games with his arms. Yeah, I mean, it seems right now, like, I don't know who's going to – I mean, I don't even know who's going to play this weekend, Jones or McCoy. Joe Judge and his coaching staff, he likes to keep that a secret, (laughs) who's going out there lately. But the Ravens, reportedly, they've been prepping for both. So I think Jones, you have to worry more about him running on his feet, uh, especially if he's 100%. McCoy's more of a pocket guy. I wouldn't be so much concerned. But, um, you know – they're completely two different quarterbacks. Like you just mentioned, like Daniel Jones is more of um, a runner. Um, he'll get out of the pocket if he needs to. Uh, Cole McCoy likes to stay in the pocket. Um, so I'm interested to see um, who's going to play because it's going to totally change our game plan. Now, besides Dan- Daniel Jones, potentially, who, who are some of the other players in the Giants that you feel the Ravens need to watch out for? Um, probably their secondary, um, their rookie Xavier McKinney from Alabama. He's been doing really well this season. Um, and also since the Ravens do struggle with their receivers, I mean, Hollywood Brown had a great game last week with 98 yards. Um, one of his highs of the seasons, but he has been very inconsistent, a lot of dropped passes. So, um, I feel like the Giants corners and secondary is definitely something to watch out for. But for the Giants, um, I think it's going to be they're going to have to watch out for Mark Andrews for the Ravens offense, but also um, our secondary. Hopefully we're going to be healthy and ready to play this game. Um, I know Marcus Peters didn't practice near to Jimmy Smith, but they could play potentially this game. So I think it's going to come back down to both of um, the Ravens secondary as well as the Giants. Yeah, I agree. I think. The first thing, definitely for the Giants, I'm concerned about Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins. Both players have six touchdowns on the year. Dobbins is just a fantastic athlete, rookie out of Ohio State. He's been really good for the Ravens. Baltimore, number one rushing offense in the NFL. Um, They do have a bottom-of-the-barrel passing attack, though. I think the key for the Giants would have to be pressuring Lamar Jackson use a similar strategy that was used against Russell Wilson. We're hoping to get Kyler Fackrell back this week, but the problem, Caitlin and Hank, the Giants have no pass rushers. They're all hurt or we traded them away. So mm-hmm. we're relying on off golden. Marcus Golden's gone. Yeah. yeah. And sacks really last year. And you brought up Mark Andrews. I think Giants have to contain him. Andrews, seven touchdowns on the year. And it's going to be real key. I think Andrews is a third down target for, for Baltimore because Cle- last week Cleveland dominated time of possession, which is why the game felt like barely over two hours long. Um, at least that's what it felt like to me. But I think limiting the turnovers is key for both teams. I think whoever wins the turnover battle wins this game because we've seen at times whoever's playing at quarterback for the Giants has a knack, has a knack for turning the ball over. Lamar Jackson, I think, is hit or miss with the turnovers. I mean, you watch him more than I do. What concerns you the most about Lamar Jackson heading into this game? You, you brought up the run defense. Was it the rushing defense or the run defense you brought up for the Giants? Um, the the run defense. The run I, defense. Yeah. Um, and also, I don't know, I feel that some – it depends. Because um, Lamar Jackson could also be very inconsistent. Um, but I – 
I hope to see him um, pass more because that's going to be a key for the playoffs, and he's been doing well with that. Um, he does make me a little nervous when he runs a little, like a little too much, um, because like um, because I mean like he's he's a quarterback. He's not supposed to be running all over the field. Of course, it's exciting, and I love to see it. I do get a little nervous when he runs a little too much, um, but I feel that. If he plays how he's been playing for the last three weeks, I don't really have much to worry about. He just needs to secure the ball, um, make plays. I think that the receivers also need to help him out and actually catch the ball because that's been an issue the last couple of weeks. Like they've been missing like key um, receptions that are are there um, thrown directly to them, and they just they just let go and. Um, but yeah, I think that um, I'm excited for this game, and I think that the Ravens do have an edge. Um, I think that they're just the better team going into this, and I think Lamar Jackson is the better quarterback, depending on who's going to play uh, Daniel Jones or Colt McCoy. I feel that Lamar Jackson's a better quarterback. Hundred percent. Regardless of which quarterback comes out for the Giants, Baltimore definitely has the edge there. Um, Hank, we talk about this every week. I think this is a key for both teams getting off the field on third down. Oh, very much so. As as we pointed out last week, Cleveland, 9 for 13 on third downs. That's a big reason why they won the game last week. And the Giants had one possession in the third quarter of that game. Just one possession. That that was it. Yeah. It, it, again, credit Cleveland because they, they did what they had to do to win, but – it also, needs to, it also goes to show you the Giants have to be very careful in those third-down situations. Yeah, I think that for either team, it's going to be whoever. Um, obviously, time of possession is always important for any game, mostly. Uh, you just want to keep your offense on the field, um, run out that clock um, to be able to win the game. But also, um, for the Ravens, not so much um, the past couple of games, but in earlier games in the season, they struggled a lot with penalties. And that was a big thing. They gave up so many yards and first downs because of their penalties. So I think they need to be a little bit more careful um, with that going into this game to not give up like um, third downs that turn into a first down because of pass interference. Yeah. No, that's that's an excellent point. And this kind of just dawned in my head now. Blake Martinez, you brought up the run defense for the Giants. Blake Martinez, 128 tackles. He's been an excellent acquisition for us. I think he's kind of, I mean, I think he's kind of like your Patrick queen in a sense. I know Blake's been around a lot more. I think he has a step up on queen, but uh, Blake has been pretty much the lead. He's yet to make a pro bowl. I don't know how he hasn't, but I think Blake being healthy this year, Bradbury being back, that's going to help us. Leonard Williams. I think it's going to be a closer game than people think, but there's a couple other players I wanted to touch on. LJ Fort, Caitlin, uh, fifth-ranked inside linebacker against the run in the NFL, and then Chuck Clark, who's a very hard-hitting safety young guy who, once Earl Thomas left the team in the offseason, it was kind of like, whoa, like who's going to step up? The Sean Elliott, Chuck Clark, they've done a good job. And you mentioned the loss of C.J. Mosley a year or two ago. LJ Fort's done a nice job, too. Yeah, um, he's definitely doing a great job, especially when we had a few injuries. Um, he would um, definitely pick up, um, like he would uh, make more appearances when there was injuries. And I felt that he did a great job and 
um, made the plays he needed to. Um, I also really do like Chuck Clark, and I've liked him for um, a couple of seasons. I feel that he's a great playmaker, um, and he's also not talked about enough. He's been on that team for a few years and been making a lot of plays for the Ravens defense. Um, I feel like that gets um, overshadowed a little bit. Um, but also about um, Blake Martinez, I was also surprised to see that he didn't make the Pro Bowl, and I was a little surprised to see that Evan Ingram did because, I mean, like, he's – like, I don't know. He has, like, one touchdown the entire season, and, like, he'll have, like, I don't remember what game it was. He had, like, a game where it was, like, almost 100 receiving yards, and then, like, a couple weeks ago it was, like, 28. Like, he's, like, I don't know, he's inconsistent. Obviously, that's, that has to do with, like, the injuries Daniel Jones will play, and then Colt McCoy, obviously, um, he has to adjust to that. But I was surprised to see that because um, I do also think that Patrick Queen can be, like, a Blake Martinez um especially they have um pretty similar stats right now um they both have a few sacks in the season a few forced fumbles um definitely making plays for um, each of their defenses yeah i agree both players have done a phenomenal job uh i mean both of these teams have really good players on each side of the ball and a couple of weeks ago, you know, some of the YouTubers I follow said this Baltimore game, all of a sudden, it looks like a lot more winnable game. Well, that's changed back the other way. I don't think this is as much of a winnable game as we thought it would be three to four weeks ago when Baltimore was on a slide a little bit. And um, a couple more questions here. Uh, Des Bryant is a guy that you guys brought in and wanted to give him a shot. Scored his first touchdown in purple the other week. Do you like him? What's your? I mean, there's a lot of issues at the wide receiver spot. A lot of inconsistencies outside of Hollywood Brown. Even he's been hit or miss for you for uh, your team, I think. But uh, do you like Des Bryant? So, that. <laughs> that felt weird seeing him throw up the X in the end zone for the purple. <laughs> um. So when they first were signing him to the practice squad in the middle of the season, I was honestly totally against it because I felt that the receivers. Um, that we had weren't like they're capable of making plays. They just weren't stepping up to the plate and doing what they needed to do. Um, but then after um, this week, I felt that it's kind of something that we needed. I feel like he's, he's a veteran. Obviously he's been out for a few seasons, um, but I feel that he can also like teach like uh, Hollywood Brown, which is in um, his second season. Um, he could t- like teach the younger receivers, like give them pointers. I feel like he could be like a good mentor. Um, so I now that he's on um, on our regular squad and making plays and um, doing what he needs to do, I do like him now. I was against it at first, but he is doing what he needs to do on the Ravens' offense. So my last question to you is John Harbaugh because. He, he took a risk on Dez, who's starting to turn out to be a decent acquisition. Uh, he's been your coach for a long time. Who, who do you think the Ravens should target? I, I know we're looking very far ahead, but what's a hole that you think needs to be addressed in either free agency or the draft this upcoming offseason from what you've seen in 2020? Um, definitely a wide receiver because the Ravens have not had – good wide receivers only year I've been a Ravens fan for like 10 years. Um, and the only year we actually had decent receivers was our super bowl year with Anquan Bolden, um, 
Jacoby Jones and Tori Smith. And then other than that, we had like Steve Smith, but that was, he was like at the end of his career, we need like a solid young, uh, talented receiver because we don't have that we never had that in past seasons um I also feel that um we need another offensive lineman definitely just to strengthen that line um but other than that I feel that we have a pretty solid team our running backs are solid tight ends corners all those are positions I don't think we need to work on other than the receivers and the line yeah, it's going to be a tough task for the Giants, and you hit home on a lot of those points. All around the Ravens are a solid team, and one of the comment, one of the viewers has a comment that's kind of too long to pin. Otherwise, it would block us out. Uh, John, we kind of already addressed that. Uh, Caitlin mentioned how the Giants are really good at stopping the run. I think if you put an emphasis on Lamar to lead with his arm, that could be a bit more of a challenge against Graham is Des playing this weekend for the Ravens. I, I heard he was one of nine Ravens to miss practice today. Uh, yeah, I saw that too. Um, I think he'll play. Um, I, th- I think um, it's just like a minor thing. Um, I think um, most of our players that are on the injury list today. I think most of them are going to play, including um, Marcus Peters and um, Clay Campbell. Hank, anything you want to add? Uh, yeah, no. I think one of the key things you got if the Giants are going to win this game, they're going to have to they're going to have to make Lamar beat them for sure. I think I know I know he's gotten a little bit better with the throwing, but I still think that's something the Giants have to like that that's going to be vital if the Giants are going to win. And because we know stopping the run has been one of the strengths, but. See, if, if Lamar Jackson beats us, then, again, got to give your cap to him. Or tip your cap, rather. Sorry. 100%. And yeah. another thing I got to say is I think it's probably – I would imagine this game to be another very low-scoring game. I could definitely see the Giants making a close one out of it. Not going to say they're winning. Mm-hmm. But like, <laughs> what? Um, I'm, I would have agreed with that, like, two weeks ago. But um, I don't know. I think I'm predicting this game. I think the Ravens are going to put up at least 28 points. And I think that – I think in the beginning it's going to be a close game. But yeah. I think um, once they the second half starts, I feel that's going to be all the Ravens. Do you have a score prediction? Um, I'd have to say probably 28-17. So, like, still a two-score game. But um, – Probably, yeah, closer than people would expect. But I think the Ravens are going to take off in the second half of this game. Yeah, I actually have Baltimore winning, too. I have them winning. I think – I don't know if they get 28. Uh, I think I think they'll get at least 20. Uh, it depends how running game goes. I mean, I think with Lamar Jackson, they're, they're very explosive. I'm going to go ahead and say Baltimore 23, Giants – uh, I'll give us 16, only because I think Gano keeps us in the game. He's been a great kicker for us this year. I think we only scored one touchdown. Dang it, Tom. I also had the Giants going 23. Why do you get to copy me, man? We think, we think very old. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. I'm just messing with you. Um, all king aside, though, yeah, I don't have the Giants winning either, unfortunately. I'm going to say 26-16. 
right. I wanted to, I wanted to for comic relief use the Monsters Inc. score and say twenty three nineteen, but since you copied me with twenty three, I'm just gonna say twenty twenty six sixteen. Very nice. Uh Caitlin, any anything you'd like to add before we uh let you go here tonight? Um no, other than um I think that the Ravens are a team that people are underestimating right now. And I think that um, they're going to surprise people in January. Very well could happen. I could see it hundred percent. Any given Sunday. Mm-hmm. That's, um, that's all I got to say. Any given Sunday. I, as cliche as it sounds, it's true. <laughs> Caitlin, once he wins that first playoff game, it's going to be all right. It's just getting that first playoff win from yeah. Lamar is. I that's, agree. That's, that's, that's the critics just definitely. I definitely down. agree because that's definitely like if you want to be the franchise quarterback, you're gonna have to win a playoff game. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, that's gonna run out of town very quickly. Yeah. Caitlin, well, thank you so much for joining Hank and I tonight. Remember to check Caitlin out at the Kicking Off with Caitlin podcast, and you're on several different platforms, right? Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Awesome. So I'll make sure to check that out. Caitlin, hope you have a happy holiday. Merry Christmas and uh, stay safe out there. And uh, let's go. Uh, I almost said let's go Ravens, but uh, best of luck to <laughs> you and your team on Tyler, Sunday. Shame on you, man. Yeah. Uh, I'm they, sorry, Tom. I've been giving you a hard time a lot with the past few minutes. It's only you been. have. You have. It's getting warm in this jacket. But uh, <laughs> Kate, Caitlin, thank you so much. And, uh, yeah, good luck this Sunday. Really appreciate the time. Thank you for having me. Good luck to your team as well. (laughs) Thanks, Caitlin. Yes, thanks, Caitlin. That was Caitlin McCarthy from the Kicking Off with Caitlin podcast. Hank, thank you very much for correcting me several times tonight. It's been one wild night, and we made our Hank is there. (laughs) Please, I'm sorry. Um, I'm I'm just I'm in rare form tonight. Um, we spoke with Caitlin, got her thoughts. We're just going to show you a couple more graphics before we sign off since we have about another 10 minutes. So we want to get into depth about Lamar Jackson. I know, um, we just highlighted him, but there he is, man. This is what Caitlin was just talking about. MVP last season, three and zero against the NFC East this year, seven rushing touchdowns on the season, 21 through the air, over 800 rushing yards. This man is the modern-day Superman, you might as well call him. He's all over the field, and Hank, I'm very worried this Sunday. He's a serious threat with his legs. You must make him beat you with his arm. My prediction, 217 passing yards, 55 rushing, one touchdown, one pick. Yeah, he's got the type of play that that make, that reminds you of Michael Vick, and to older Giants fans, I would probably they'd probably say Randall Cunningham to an extent, so... And we know that, don't get me wrong, the Giants have gotten better at stopping running QBs lately, but this is a guy, running QBs still scare me because I've seen the Giants struggle with that in the past. Yeah, man, it's been an issue for us for quite some time, and I'm just hoping that the Giants find a way to stop them on Sunday and we get our sixth win of the season. And then we mentioned the running backs before, just bring up one more graphic of those backs, Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins. J.K. Dobbins, second-round pick in this year's draft. Each running back has had at least one 100-yard game this season. Both running backs above 550 rushing yards, and each have six touchdowns. Hank, this is nearly identical stats for these two. It's kind of like thing one and thing two. Not the first time we've dealt with thing one and thing two. Look at last week. 
Yeah. Uh, John, you know what all, it helps that they to have two good, a good, um, actually, I shouldn't even say double threat, really triple threat because we're going to get back in there. But it also helps that they have a good offensive line there, too. But yes, definitely. All three of these guys are guys you have to watch for sure. Highlighted by Orlando Brown, Bozeman, those guys, they're good. But yeah, these guys are going to be key. We have to stop them, make Lamar Jackson beat us with his arm, not his legs. I think a similar strategy to what we had with Russell Wilson could work. And then when we think of the Ravens, Hank, we also think what? Defense. That is something that they've pretty much been known for for 20-something years. And we have Marlon Humphrey, who Caitlin mentioned, eight forced fumbles on the season, eight passes defended, and 75 tackles, two and a half sacks from the cornerback position is phenomenal. Uh, Two forced fumbles and a forced safety in the Browns game, and he's the 10th-ranked cornerback in PFF world. Yeah, someone definitely got to be careful, and um, I'd imagine he's someone the Giants probably might not might not target as much. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, but then if he's if the other guy's healthy, then it's pretty much pick your poison if Marcus Peters is playing. Right, and Marcus Peters is a big one too. Uh, he, is, I mean, in my opinion, I think he's going to return. He had a calf injury last week, three picks this year, four forced fumbles. He's no walkover either. Three-time Pro Bowler, five tackles and a forced fumble against the Browns. So he has been real good for Baltimore as of late. So those are the two last players to watch. And then, Hank, we have R2, which we're about to bring up now, both on the defensive side of the ball. It's big man Blake in the middle and Bradbury Bunker. Yeah, I think I feel like we use these players like a lot in terms of um, our players to watch list, but you know, and there's a reason for that. Blake Martinez has been – would you consider him our MVP on this defense? In my opinion, I'd say he's probably one of the better players for sure. For me, he's MVP. He's played every game. He, yeah. he, has, he hasn't missed the game. Bradbury missed the game. I mean, look, he's you could make an argument for him. I think, in my opinion, the three guys, if you're talking about MVP of the defense, like most valuable, it's Blake, it's Bradbury, and, I mean – as good as Leonard Williams is, I'm going to throw Jabril Peppers in there above him because he is a leader. I can't go wrong. That. Spicy Peppers. Spicy Peppers. Yeah, Spicy Peppers. Um, uh, yeah, you know, that's that's how uh, they talk up there in Jersey, Peppers being a Jersey kid himself. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, 128 tackles for Blake. The stats don't lie. They're on the graphic. He started every game since 2017. He's an Ironman out there, and, Ninth, ninth ranked linebacker on PFF, eighth against the run. Pretty good in coverage, too. That was his uh, area of concern when coming over to the Giants. He wasn't the best pass coverage linebacker, and he's going to see plenty of Mark Andrews on Sunday. That's going to be an excellent matchup to watch. And then Bradbury, the three picks, the NFL leading, 17 passes defended, two forced fumbles, and making his return coming off the COVID list. And a first-time Pro Bowler. Congrats, James Bradbury. Yeah, well-deserved. Well-deserved for sure. He's held a lot of um, he's held a lot of star receivers on different teams to average numbers, and yeah, he's very deserving. And I, I, can, I would imagine Hollywood Brown's going to have his hands full this week going up against him. Sure is. Um, that's going to be a lot of fun to watch that matchup. Sixth-ranked cornerback in the NFL. Those are our two New York football Giants players to watch. So 
We're nearing the end of the show now and just want to pin a, a couple of comments. John Suggs, his question is, is Daniel Jones starting? How's his health? Well, obviously, he sprained his ankle, and he's battling a hamstring still. He's not fully healthy. Recovered from that. Daniel Jones is questionable for Sunday. We do not know his current status. He has been limited in practice. Remember, he was also limited in practice towards the end of last week and did not play. So right now, John, I would lean towards Colt McCoy starting on Sunday. However, if Jones continues to progress throughout the course of the week, then I think Jones will play. Uh, I think if you're the Giants and at this point there's two games left in the season, I think Daniel Jones needs to be out there, but with his health, I think McCoy is going to start as of right now. Uh, I I can't give you a clear-cut answer. I wish I had a more definitive answer on that question, but thank you very much for that. Yeah, it would probably – I know I said 50-50 earlier. I think I'm going to have to lean – less than 50% to him playing because yeah. I think I, I would think no. The reason I'm going to say no is because Joe judge got scrutinized for what happened in the Arizona game. And I, I, I have a feeling he's probably going to want to avoid that. But with that said, I, I would hope that if, if he is healthier then hopefully he does play, but I'm not, I'm less than optimistic about that. Those chances. So I believe John's referring to Lamar Jackson here in this comment. Uh, saying he is Cam Newton 2.0. Give it four years. Uh, Lamar Jackson, Cam Newton 2.0. What do you think? Uh, I Maybe my silly costumes, possibly, yeah. I agree. Uh, both players won an MVP award. Yep. But I will say this. I think Lamar Jackson has a better all-around team around him and I still think he's a pretty good I still think he's gonna be a pretty good quarterback in the league. I think the issue is his accuracy in the pocket. Yeah. That needs to improve the older he gets. Otherwise he can potentially go down this route, which is something I don't think Baltimore fans want to see. Why put him out there against one of the better defenses and hurt him even more? John, there's two games left in the season where we're fighting for the division. We could be eliminated this weekend. I understand health is a priority, but you know, if you're gonna tell me uh, you know, I can't go any more than 60-40 Colt McCoy right now. If Jones, I mean, Jones gives us a better shot to win than Colt McCoy. I'm sold on Jones. I think he's the future of this franchise. I think you have to give him at least one more year before you can make any decision on him. People are going for his head way too soon, in my opinion. Yeah, you definitely got to give him one more shot for sure. I think I, Tom and I have pretty much stressed this all year, and – yeah, I really hope next year he can prove the haters wrong. Please. Steve says, got to sign off, guys. Great show. Merry Christmas to the three of you. Thank you, Steve. Appreciate the kind comment and watching our show for the second week in a row. Really good stuff, as always. Um, yeah. And then the last player to watch for the Giants is Evan Ingram. Got to catch the football, make some plays for this offense. He's yeah. A pro bowler that he is, I guess. Yeah, even with his flaws, there's a reason people voted him for to the Pro Bowl. They know that he's a threat. He can make those big catches, and he does a lot of the hard things too, as I've also said. If you make the playoffs, you're not going past the first round. Come on, be honest. Giants is not a Super Bowl team. I disagree. 
I disagree because hmm. I'm not saying I think we're going to go past the first round, but John, the last two times a seven-win team made the playoffs, they both won a playoff game. They both won a playoff game. It would be Ron Rivera's led Carolina Panthers, which, by the way, Dave Gettleman was the GM of that team. They won a playoff game. And then the earthquake game, Marshawn Lynch, they were 7-9. and nine. They beat the Saints. So right there, it doesn't matter what your record is. If the Giants get hot these last two weeks, they could win a playoff game, especially if they draw the Rams or the Seahawks, two fraudulent teams in my opinion. Look, just throwing it out there, the Giants beat the Seahawks this year. They did. And, um, I mean, here's the thing. I'm not as optimistic about them winning a playoff game should they get there as Tom. I mean, first of all, let's make the playoffs first before we even have this discussion. But with that having been said, yeah, Tom's right. I would agree, as as I often say, any given Sunday, anything can happen. Once you get to the playoffs, records, zero and zero. You can't base it off of records and how you get in. As long as you get in, the records are out the window, 0-0, zero, zero, and then that's when we start to have a discussion. But right now, the playoffs are not looking too great for this football team. But we are being hopeful that the Giants can pull off a win on Sunday, and if not, get some help with wins from Carolina and Dallas over Phil. Um, so that being said, Hank, any uh, any final thoughts here before we sign off tonight? We already went over our game predictions. Tom, I just want to say I hope you have a happy holiday and a Merry Christmas. Thanks again, as always, for having me. And thanks to John and Steve for commenting. You guys who commented, really appreciate it. You make our show. I really mean that. And thanks again to Caitlin for joining us. She was really good. She provided some great insight on her Ravens and – yeah, it should be an interesting matchup. That's pretty much all I have left to say. Always a pleasure, Tom. No problem, Hank. Tommy Boos, shake my head, sounds crazy. We stink, can't beat a good team. Uh, what, the Seahawks aren't a good team? I'm not sure what he's talking about, yeah. to be honest. Um, okay, but, uh, yeah. On that note, Hank, thank you very much for joining me tonight. Caitlin McCarthy was great. Make sure to go check her out at the Kicking Off with Caitlin podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel here at Review and Preview Sports. All great content, uh, putting up some good shows. Gabe Flayton will be hosting the North Pole Friday on Christmas Day following the conclusion of the Viking Saints game. He will be recapping that game and talking all things NFC North and a little bit AFC North as well. Hank, happy holidays. Merry Christmas to all of you watching. On behalf of Hank and Dictor, I'm Tom Scavetta saying so long. You've been watching Big Blue Avenue here on Review and Preview Sports. Good night, everybody.